Good morning. Please join me in prayer. My Lord and God, help us keep you first in our lives. Help us speak only good things in your name. Help us attend church each week. Help us honor our parents. Help us protect life. Help us be faithful to those we love. Help us be generous. Help us speak the truth. Help us celebrate the beauty of others. Help us to want to share. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 6 through 22. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. To, commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your holy assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud, and the deep darkness. And he added nothing more. Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, uh, I want to, out of that passage, I want to talk about one word today. One word, the word remember. Remember there in verse 15, it says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought, out, brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Remember. So, okay, let's do a little exercise. Close your eyes. 
Close your eyes. Don't be afraid. Nobody will take your stuff. Close your eyes. Now, I want you to bring back a warm, good memory. Bring that up. Whatever it is. Okay. You getting it? You got it? Okay. I'll tell you mine. Okay, you can open your eyes if you want to now, if you've got your memory. I'll tell you mine. Many years ago, a little town in the hospital, in a little town of Grinnell, Iowa. This is back in the days you couldn't be in the delivery room with your wife. So I was with my wife until our first child was about to be born, and then they shooed me out, and I went and sat in a, in a, a wheelchair that I found in the hallway of the maternity ward, because it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. So I'm sitting in the wheelchair right next to the, where all the little bassinets are for the news, newborns are, and I'm sitting there just kind of waiting, waiting. I know that they're in the delivery room, but I don't know what's happening. And suddenly... I hear a baby crying, and I look into the windows of the maternity area there, and all the babies are fast asleep. And it dawns on me, that's my baby crying down the hall there. It was a wonderful sensation that here was my new son, who just turned 50 last May, was now present in the world. Wonderful memory to bring back. Some of you had similar memories this morning. So I asked the question, why does God call us to remember? Well, as Bart Simpson would say, duh, because we forget. (laughs) We are called to remember, yes, because we forget, but also we're called to remember because because he, the Lord, will make all things right. By the way, let me, let me give a separate note for a minute. Remembering is not living in the past. Remembering is different than living in the past. When the Israelites were wandering around in the desert, they kept living in the past. Oh, if we could just go back to Egypt. Remember how good things we were in Egypt? Remember how great things were when we were back there? That was living in the past. Remembering is different than that because remembering brings us to assurance and to hope. Let me explain how. It's through remembering that we gain perspective. We do three things when we remember. We recall we replay, and we memorialize. I tried real hard to think of a third R, but this wasn't one. So we recall, we replay, and we memorialize. So the recollect part is just historical, okay? Um, This is what happened. And it isn't even always correct. We're not always correct in in our recollections. If my sister were here, she's in Colorado, but if my sister were here and we were talking about raking leaves in our backyard, she would have a very different recollection than I do about how hard I worked. (laughs) I still believe I was recollecting correctly. She might feel otherwise. So... The thing is that recollecting puts things in context. 
And when things get put in context, they can begin to replay. Scientists tell us that certain stimuli will, will trigger our memories. Some of you may have our song. There's that song that when you hear it, brings up this whole flood of memories from any number of directions, possibly with your loved one or somebody, some other setting. But the recollection under the proper stimuli can produce a kind of replay. An aroma can do it. Chocolate chip cookies, a certain spaghetti sauce, whatever it might be, that aroma triggers a replaying of certain recollections in our lives. And then, of course, as we recollect and we replay, we memorialize because we begin to understand or to assign what this memory means. For different people in this room, the lighting of these candles and the remembrance of the names of the folks for whom they were lit today may produce a whole series of memories. And those series of memories come both in what that person meant to us, but also in what that person means to us. Because that recollection and that replaying causes that memory to go forward, not just backwards. And so our recollecting and our replaying and our memorializing puts together our memories. It happened two interesting places in the Old Testament. If you go back to 2 Kings 22, you read about King Josiah. King Josiah, they went the, the temple was a mess when Josiah came to be king. It was, it was like an abandoned house. In fact, that's exactly what it was when Josiah came to be king. They weren't doing anything in the temple. Anyway, they went in, they cleaned it all up, and as they cleaned it up, they came across a scroll, a scroll. And they came to Josiah and they said, Your Majesty, look what we found. And what was it? The scroll of the law. And he said, Whoa, we got to read this. And he read it. And then they read it to the people. And they suddenly had a whole recollection and a replay and an understanding of what that law was all about and what they were supposed to be doing. They went through the whole memorial process. And some decades later, when Hezekiah came to be king, they'd fallen by the wayside again, and they had forgotten the Israelites. And so in 2 Chronicles 29, 29 to 31, there's four chapters there, they go through restoring again, building up, pulling up, recreating, if you please, or reestablishing all of their memories And this is based on what Val was reading this morning about remembering the Sabbath because it was here that they came to understand again, we haven't been keeping the Passover all of these years. We've been just blowing off the Passover. And they reestablished the Passover. They once again, in the context of the memory of what God had done, established how their practice here and now and into the future was supposed to be. And so in remembering, we gain assurance. Now, I don't want to be pie in the sky here. 
never say that we don't have bad memories. Of course we do. Almost all of us could, could have just as easily pulled up a bad memory this morning, but I don't want you to do that. But yes, we face bad memories. Which brings us to the point that we have to remember what to hold on to. Do we feel weak? We're in our own strength. We're holding on to the wrong thing. That's the key about remembering, is to remember to hold on to the right thing. We're not remembering God's deeds, his promises. All that he's done for us, that's where our memory should take us and what we should hold on to. Because it is that remembering that builds assurance. Luke 1, a few weeks ago, back in the Advent season, we were talking about the birth of John the Baptist. And in Luke 1, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, after John the Baptist is born, essentially sings or chants what we would think of as, as a hymn of praise. And in a couple of those verses, in Luke 1, Zechariah calls out to God, as he said through prophets long ago, Zechariah says, he is remembering what God has done to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. He sings a song of remembering. Two other interesting high points that I'll just mention but it connects to what Zechariah was just doing. Peter, in Acts 2, gives a sermon right after Pentecost. This is at the time of Pentecost. And Peter gives a sermon. And what's the sermon? It's a recollection. If you go back and read it, it's a recollection of what God has done. And people say to him, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And about 3,000 people were saved that day because they remembered what God had done. Now Stephen, a few chapters later, essentially has the same experience. He gives much the same sermon. He talks about what God has done and how it led up to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, Stephen's outcome was worse. He got stoned. He was killed for his efforts, but the message was the same. Remember, for this is what God has done on our behalf. We have the assurance, based on our knowledge and our understanding and, and our taking in of what God has done for us. Paul, Paul says to his younger disciple, Timothy, turns out to be his co-worker, but Paul says to him, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, Descended from David. This is my gospel. Paul is saying to Timothy, hold on to the essentials. Hang on to what's important. Jesus died and rose again. Hang on to that. Last week, at this table, in these seats, we celebrated communion. We observed, we recollected, and we reenacted. We memorialized the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. You held 
the bread in your hand. You held the cup in your hand. And in those moments, we remembered and we memorialized Jesus' body and blood, his death and his resurrection. You see, it's remembering that helps us to draw closer. Remember that memory you had at the beginning of the service? It probably did something. Some of you may be still thinking about the memory you had at the beginning of the service because you're still recollecting. But even as you recollected and you memorialized and you, and you, were, you were relishing what that memory meant to you, it at the same time was calling you forward. It stimulated you toward the future. It reconnected you going forward with what has been in your past. Therefore, when we remember and we gain that assurance, which is our promise from remembering, then our remembering and our assurance bring us hope. Why does remembering bring us hope? Why is that? Well, with Jesus, because the assurance that our memory brings us is attached to a promise. One of the parts of the, of the communion service that we don't always read or recite, but we remember, is that Jesus said, Paul, Paul is telling the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, Paul says to the Corinthians that Jesus says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's name until he comes. Our memory and our recollection that builds our assurance gives us hope because Jesus is coming again. The victory is sure already. The victory is ours already. So, hope is always based on the object. You ever noticed that? Our hope is based on the object. It's where I stake my life. Where I've rested my life. Think about that. What have you staked your life on today? What is your life resting on? It's as simple as the old story about the two guys who built their houses, you remember, in the Gospels? One built it on sand, one built it on rock. Built it on the sand, lots of luck when the storm comes. Guy who built it on the rock, your hope is sure. It's not going to fall down. Our hope is as valid as what that hope is staked on. And so, what's the object of your hope? Let me give you a reminder from Peter in his first letter. Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, 
or fade. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That's a pretty cool promise. That's pretty amazing. And that is where we stake our hope. So, I remember. I remember. This is an important aspect of our walk with Jesus. It's what I know. How do I know? I know what I know. And I remember what I know. It's what we know as a community. We have a a connected uh, whole conglomeration, if you please, of life experiences that mix together as we are a community of the Lord. We share each other's lives. We talk to each other. We pray for each other. We support each other. We watch each other. We ask of each other. We create memories together. There are some children in this church whose first memories, conscious memories, are things that happen to them right here in this congregation. And there are teenagers and college-age kids who have the same first memory of being in this community and in this congregation. So what's my point? My point is that our, what we remember is what we have to share with our children and what we have to share with others outside this building. Because our call in the Great Commission is to go outside this building and talk about what Jesus done, what, what Peter talked about there, of what God has given us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's what we know. We know, for God so loved the world. What did he do? For God so loved the world. He gave his only son. Why did he do that? So that we wouldn't perish and so that we would have everlasting life. This is a recollection, a memory that we carry with us, that we remember, that we live, and that we might have everlasting life. Why might we live and have everlasting life? Jesus rose again. We live and have everlasting life because Jesus rose again. We're walking now, we're living now in the kingdom. You can remember that already. You can remember the future of the kingdom that has been established for you already and that we're living in it now. Our dear friend Ramsey Michaels used to say, uh, work out your salvation, with the, the verse about work out your salvation with f- fear and trembling is that salvation is past, present, and future. Jesus died and rose again. My salvation is past. I walk with Jesus now. My salvation is present. I go to live with him in the kingdom. I go to be face-to-face with God forevermore in everlasting life because Jesus rose again. We walk now in God's kingdom. So our hope is based where? On the assurance 
of Jesus' resurrection. God's promise through that resurrection that all things will be made right. You want to know what that means? You want to know what all things will be made right means? I challenge you this week, go home and read Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. You want to see what all things being made right looks like? Read those two chapters. That's the promise, the culmination of all that God has done. In the whole space-time continuum, that is the culmination. All things will be made right. Our hope is sure because God is sure. So let me ask you this morning, where is your uncertainty? Is your uncertainty staring you right in the face? Where's your anxiety? Is your anxiety got your stomach twisted up in a knot that makes it hard for you to stand up straight? What about your anger or your fear? Do they have a grip on your heart? Are those things compromising your ability to remember? If they are, place them at God's feet literally in prayer. Place them at God's feet. Your anxiety, your fear, your anger, your uncertainty. Place them at God's feet and let Jesus have them. Give them to him and he will bring you comfort. He will bring you assurance. He will bring you hope. So today, think about where have I placed my hope? This is really all about my ongoing walk with Jesus. Where have I placed my hope? We've remembered today these folks who have gone before us. All of us have memories of some or all of them and what they were in our midst. Those memories are also part of our living in the kingdom. But as we place our trust in Jesus, as our hope and our assurance is in Jesus, this we know and we remember. Jesus will not fail us. Jesus will not forget us. Where's your hope today? Do you need to renew your hope? Have you been feeling hopeless in any part of your life? Are you feeling some hopelessness? Remember. Remember what God has done through what you read in Scripture. What you see in the lives of those Christian brothers and sisters around you. Remember. And that hope can be renewed. For our hope is he who not only died but rose again and is coming again. Maybe some of you realize, you may say, in your, I don't have any hope at all because I have never placed my trust in Christ. If you've never placed your trust in Christ but say, I need to do that. See me, see Pastor Chris, see a person that you know and trust and can talk to about such a thing. And that too can be made right for all eternity. Remembering is important because it draws me back to God. How long do I remember? Until he comes again. 
I have the joy of remembering now and until he comes again, whenever that is. So when he comes again, we know all things will be made right. We stand in that promise. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we remember what you have done for us through your own Son, Jesus Christ. And through you, by your gift of your Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, we have hope and assurance. Father, when we stumble, help us to remember. Father, if we have never placed our hope in you, give us the courage today to do that. But most of all, Father, we trust in you. We look to you for our hope until you come again. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.